The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture reading from today comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Shades. Uh, You are missed once again this morning, but it is good to be with you, even if it is in this way. Let's begin our time this morning in prayer that God would move even as we are separated, that he would, that he would open our hearts, that he would encourage us, that he would draw us closer to him even now. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. You are rock and our deliverer. Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Sometimes it can be a challenge for my wife and I to find a TV show to watch together at night. I don't know if any of you have this very serious marital conflict, but there has been a source of common ground. And that common ground is British TV. For some reason, British TV in all its variety has been a common ground for us. We always end up landing there. And often in these British TV shows, there will be these scenes around these beautiful old English churches. And more times than not, these beautiful old English churches are surrounded by what? A graveyard. Time and time again, you see people walking through the graveyard, uh, staring at the tombstones as they make their way into the church building. With these old churches, you can't get into the building unless you walk through a graveyard. Now, this isn't a common practice anymore. 
in our churches for a variety of reasons, but it has made me think, what would that be like? What would it be like to walk through a graveyard every time we enter the doors of Shades Valley and then every time that we leave? What would it be like to walk past the headstones of members who have come before us? What would it be like to walk past the plot of land that one day we would lay in each time that we come together as a body? You're getting a glimpse inside of my mind. These are the types of things that I think about as I watch a British romantic comedy. You can pray for me. My wife does. But in all seriousness, this morning, I want to face death. I want us as a body to stare death right in the face. I want to face it together. Because in some form or fashion, this is what we've all been doing these past few months. Uh, these past few months, our world has been forced to face death. Uh, many who might not normally look at the news all of a sudden find themselves daily reading articles and looking at charts that are tracking the death toll of our current pandemic. I was talking to a friend who was saying that there are mass graves that are being dug around New York City. It's unbelievable. There's no doubt that, tragically, death has made its way into the daily lives of our society in a way that nobody saw coming in 2020. We as a world, we as a culture, are facing death. And yet, as a culture, we don't really know what to do with death. I want to start by just talking about three responses to death that I see in our culture, in our modern time. Three responses to death. The first response is the denial of death. To deny death. This idea of denying death, or our culture's denial of death, is by no means original to me. This is something that's been observed by uh, people inside and outside the Christian faith. Uh, one American surgeon, writer, and public health researcher named Atul Gawande, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, but in a 2010 piece, uh, Atul in the New Yorker, excuse me, Atul wrote this In a secularized culture with increasing life expectancy and medical technologies that prolong life, we have generally lost the ability to talk about an irrefutable fact. We will all die. Idolatry of life has led to a place medically, culturally, and even within the church where death has become 
taboo. I think he makes a good point here, an interesting one, that even medical advancements, which, to be clear, are a huge blessing, but even medical advancements can play a role in our denial of death. Death is now something that, by and large, is a society that we can kind of be distanced from. We don't have to talk about it. It's even taboo in polite conversation. Tim Keller makes this point in a little book that he wrote called On Death. I would commend it to you. Uh, But Keller points out in this book that in colonial times in our country, I want you to think about this, the average family lost one out of every three children before adulthood. And since the life expectancy of all people at the time was about 40 years, great numbers lost their parents when they were still children. So therefore, Keller points out, nearly everyone grew up seeing corpses and watching relatives die young and old more times than not in the home. That kind of reality makes death hard to ignore. Death was not hidden. Once again, I bring this up not to bemoan advancements in medicine and healthcare. Far from it. What am I doing? I want us to reflect on our moment. I want us to see that our time can shield us from the brutal realities of the end of life. We are not forced to face it in a way that those that have come before us were. And even when we do face it, often it's kind of in a sanitized way. Often we're kept at an arm's length. Sometimes we just think about it from a news article. And so this reality, combined with endless entertainment, can do what? Um, It can all be a recipe for denial. Uh, We rationally know that death awaits us all. I'm, I'm not saying that we don't. But what I'm saying is that many simply choose to deal with that reality by ignoring it by ignoring it, the denial of death. Uh, Second, there's the acceptance of death. Um, Accepting death with this kind of cool, chill disposition. Uh, On the other side of the denial spectrum, you have the acceptance spectrum. It's those in our society that would say that, listen, Death is just something that we should accept as good and normal. Uh, there's no reason to really mourn or, or grieve about it or meditate on its pain because it's just kind of a natural good part of life. Uh, this modern day, what you may call death positive movement, would encourage you to see death as good and just kind of a normal part of life 
um, so that once you do that, you're kind of freed to go on and live your life however you want. Uh, You're free to go out and find the good life. Because death is just another part that we all go through. So just enjoy the time that you have. Um, This response to death might sound kind of crazy to you and I. This kind of acceptance of death is good and normal. But um, as you watch TV and movies, uh, with this kind of framework in mind, I think you will begin to see it everywhere. Uh, My wife and I watched the NBC show The Good Place. It's a comedy that kind of reflects on the afterlife. And overall, I I didn't take the show very seriously. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, I thought it asked some good questions, didn't really love the answers that it gave, but I didn't really take it that seriously. But I do think that this is kind of where they land in the end sort of an acceptance that one day everyone will just kind of go into the universe, into nothingness, and so just enjoy what we have now. I think here we see a way to deal with the pain of death. It's by saying that there's really no pain at all. Then there's another response that I see in our culture. The third response is to fight, to defy death, or to fight it. There's a really wild article in the Washington Post in 2015 that was titled, Tech Titan's Latest Project, Defy Death. The article spoke of billionaires in Silicon Valley using their wealth to fund research projects Uh, that are all attempting to extend human life longer than you and I could ever imagine. Uh, Peter Thiel of PayPal, maybe familiar with PayPal, uh, in the article is interviewed, and he says this. He said, I've always had this really strong sense that death was a terrible, terrible thing. Most people end up compartmentalizing. And they are in some weird mode of, get this, denial and acceptance about death. Thiel says that he prefers to fight it. He prefers to fight it. I think here there's a gospel of technology that's being preached a gospel whose hope is in human ingenuity and advancement, I think it's a modern example of salvation by works. Humanity left to our own means to save ourselves or at least try to extend the fight with an enemy, death, that will eventually win. So whether it's denial whether it's acceptance, whether it's defiance, we have to acknowledge that everyone in our modern time, everyone in our culture, is just trying to deal with the reality of death. All in different ways, but you can't escape it. Humanity can't escape it. 
So I believe that in the midst of all these modern responses to death, Easter speaks a powerful word, not only of death, but death in light of resurrection. Death in light of resurrection. And for many in Christianity, Easter is not just a one-day celebration, but Easter is a season called Easter Tide. The season goes for 50 days, and at the end, uh, ends with the celebration of Pentecost, uh, the celebration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the first disciples, on the church. And so, I don't think that I'm out of line this morning by drawing our attention two Sundays after Easter, once again, to the resurrection of Jesus, to the death and resurrection of Jesus. But not only that, the death and resurrection of Jesus, but more specifically, our bodily resurrection because of his resurrection. I want to do so because I think it says something so powerful about death, and I think it's something we need to set our minds on once again. So there are three things that I just want to draw our attention to from our passage that was read today in 1 Corinthians 15. The first thing is that our bodily resurrection in Christ means that we don't have to accept death as good. Our bodily resurrection in Christ means that we don't have to accept death as good. with this kind of cool detachment, if you will. Look at verses 50 through 52 with me in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, I I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Verse 53, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. To quote Flannery O'Connor, if it's a symbol, to hell with it. If it's a symbol, to hell with it. I'm speaking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul has been arguing in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ was bodily raised from the dead, that he really died and that he was really raised, and that if that didn't happen, then disregard Paul. Disregard Paul's ministry, because everything that he has been doing is in vain. Um, and, and now, in these verses, uh, Paul speaks, he's been speaking, but now in these verses, Paul speaks to our resurrection. He speaks to a change, a change that must occur 
in all who are in Christ if we are to inherit the new heavens and the new earth. If we are to inherit fully all of the promises that God has for us, then there must be a radical change. Um, Paul reveals that at the second coming of Christ, a radical transformation will happen to all that are in him. Uh, When Christ comes in a moment, a radical transformation will take place for all of God's people. For those dead, that involves being raised to life. For those who are alive, it means being radically changed. God's people will be fully renewed and glorified in the image of Christ, perfected after the manner of his own resurrected body. Resurrected in the likeness of his image. Why? Because for Paul, death is not inherent to the goodness of creation. Death is not something good. God does not accept it. It does not have a place in his future. It does not have a place in your future. And God says, I will remove it. Paul says something about death in Romans 6, verses 23. Paul says that the wages of sin is death. In Romans 5.12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Paul is telling us something about death. Paul reveals that death is what? It's the divine consequence for sin. Death is God's punishment. By denying God's commandment not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve, our first representatives, brought the what? The curse. Curse of death into the world. And we experience the effects of that curse. But, at the second coming of Christ, our bodies will be changed in a radical way, so much so that they will no longer in any way suffer the effects of the curse of death. Our bodies will be made fit, will be made perfect for God's new creation. And in God's new creation, death has no place. So this means that no, we don't need to fear death, but we also don't need to see it as a part of God's good creation. We don't need to have this chillness about it. We don't need, and I think this is really important, especially when we experience the death of those around us, we don't need to deny the pain of it. Sorrow it brings. It will not be in God's new creation. We will have new bodies that are not prone to death. Which leads me to my second point. Um, Our second point is our bodily resurrection in Christ means that we don't have to deny death's reality. We don't have to ignore it. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 53 with me. Just verse 53. 
Paul writes, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Uh, Paul uses the language of believers putting on new clothing. And for Paul, what's the difference between the old and the new? What's the difference? Well, for Paul, the new will not waste away. It will not become less fruitful until it finally expires. We don't need anyone to tell us we know the direction that our bodies are headed. Uh, We all experience this, and we make jokes about it all the time in our own ways, right? Um, Man, when I was younger, I could blank, right? We're making this acknowledgement about the direction that our bodies are headed. We have a perishable body. And for some of this, for some of us, excuse me, this is not a joking matter. For some of us, our bodies have been a constant source of pain and discomfort. For some of us, it feels like our bodies since birth have been attacking us. For some of us, this pain has been completely debilitating. It has completely changed our life. And if that's you, and even this morning, as you sit in your chair or couch listening to this sermon, you feel the pain It's become a normal way of life for you. If that's you, I want you to hear that that pain is ultimately not in your future. That pain is ultimately not in your future. At the resurrection of the dead, which Paul is talking about in this passage, your body will be transformed in a way that you've only dreamed about in this life. This is certainly good news. The suffering and the weary, you will be given a new, transformed. You won't leave the body, there'll be a new, transformed body. You can only imagine. And this good news of bodily resurrection also means that we don't need to live in denial of the pain that our bodies cause us now. And we don't need to live in the denial of the downward trajectory that our bodies are headed. Um, Actually, Scripture does the opposite. Um, Scripture doesn't call us to deny this. Scripture calls us to reflect on it. Scripture calls us to reflect on our mortality. Scripture calls us to reflect on our fragility. Why would it do this? Because when you and I reflect on our mortality, when you and I reflect on the direction that our bodies are headed, it leads to wisdom. It leads to wisdom in how we're actually supposed to live now as God's people. Um, Reflecting on, not obsessing over, uh, not being paralyzed by, but reflecting on the brevity of our time in the grand scheme of things, leads to wisdom. Psalm 90. So teach us to number our days 
that we may gain a heart of what? Wisdom. Wisdom. To reflect on death, to reflect on the frailty of our bodies and the direction that they're headed, is to lead us towards humility. Humility before God. And we desperately need this because you and I constantly think we're God. And we constantly think that the universe revolves around us. Death says otherwise. Um, Death has a way of putting us in a posture, in a place of dependence and humility before God. But to reflect on death is not just to be brought low. Um, To reflect on death is an invitation to reflect on resurrection. The resurrection of our bodies. It's an invitation to look at the gospel. It's an invitation to look at the beauty of the depths of our salvation and to see its greatness, and to see what God has done and what he will do for us and for our bodies that are wasting away currently. And finally, finally, our bodily resurrection means we don't have to defeat death by our own resources. Our bodily resurrection means that we don't have to defeat death by our own resources. I want us to set our minds on the story of David and Goliath, a story we all know well. In the story of David and Goliath, the people of God face a great enemy that they can't defeat. Uh, God sends David, who is not an impressive figure, not one that you would really think much about, to defeat their enemy, an enemy that is more powerful than they are, an enemy that threatens to crush them, an enemy that leaves them in fear and trembling. And yet, as the people of God face this enemy in fear, when the battle comes, they don't even pick up a sword. Because why? Because they have a champion. They have one that goes before them. This champion has an unlikely weapon and defeats their enemy for them. And so they don't fight. Why? Because the battle has been fought and David's victory is their victory. David's victory is their victory. We might roll our eyes at Silicon Valley and not take it very seriously, but the response to fight death, when you look it in the eyes, is a natural one, right? It makes sense to put up a fight and try to defeat death because it's humanity's greatest enemy. And it's what's caused us and continues to cause us the greatest amount of pain. It's our greatest threat. It's a threat that 
threatens to take everything from us and leave, leave us with no meaning or purpose, right? But Shades, can we reflect on this good news once again this morning? If you are in Jesus, you do not have to fight the battle with death because it has been fought for you by the Davidic Messiah, Jesus Christ. And his victory over sin and death is your victory over sin and death. You do not have to pick up a sword. When you look at death, when you look at your enemy in the face, it may cause much fear and trembling, but have hope for you have a champion. You have one who has fought this enemy that threatens to leave you paralyzed, that threatens to take everything, and he has been victorious. Paul, in our verses, he doesn't deny death. He doesn't just accept death, and he doesn't even try to fight it himself. Do you know what he does? He taunts it. He looks at death and he taunts it. Verse 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives victory. Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul pulls here from Isaiah and, and Hosea and Isaiah. The prophet is looking forward to the time when God will bring salvation for his people and will defeat their enemies. And he looks at Hosea to, to show God's power over death. That death has been rendered powerless. Well, what is death's power? Paul speaks to it in verse 56. What is it? What's death's power? It's sin. It's sin. It's important for us to remember in the death conversation that we have a bigger problem, and that's a sin problem. The sting of death is, is sin. Paul argued earlier that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, if he wasn't really resurrected, then you and I are still in our sin. You and I are still in our sin. It, for you and I to have this new bodily resurrection that I've talked about, our sin must be dealt with. And it was. On the cross of Jesus Christ, he took our sin upon himself to rescue us from our greatest enemy. He was powerful enough to do this. The law wasn't powerful enough to do this. So what Paul's talking about here. The, the law only showed us the depth of our sin. It, the law acted like a mirror that showed us our, our guilt. It is interesting, um, at the moment of so many people's death, what comes up? Guilt. I, sh I should have done this. 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 Our guilt is laid before us, whether that person is religious or not. The good news is that Jesus Christ is more powerful than your sin. When you look at the power of Jesus, and you look at the power of sin and the power of death, it's not even a fair fight. It's not even a fair fight. 
And so now, in faith, we don't see it yet, but in now, in faith, you and I sing together, O death, where's your sting? Where's your victory, death? We sing that now, but guess what? We're going to sing that in the future. When we are given new, glorified, resurrected bodies, we will see in full what we know in part, and we will sing. We will sing about the victory that we have over death. Our faith will, be, our faith will come to sight. I want to end with this this morning. Um, I want to end with this. Uh, I want to tell a story from uh, another part of Keller's book on death. He tells a story of a time that one of his seminary professors was approached by two parents. Uh, The daughters of these parents had him for his uh, class. And these daughters had decided that they wanted to go on the mission field. That's what they wanted to give their life to. And the parents thought that the professor was filling their children's head with all these religious radical ideas. And so they wanted to come talk to the professor. And so they said this to him. They said, "Uh, you know, there's no security in being a missionary. The pay is low. The living situation may be dangerous. We've tried talking to our daughters. They need to get a job and a career. Maybe get a master's degree. A master's degree or something like that so that they can have some security before they go off and do this missionary thing. The professor responded with this. The professor said, we're all on a little ball of rock called Earth, and we're spinning through space at millions of miles per hour. Someday, a trap door is going to open up under every single one of us, and we will fall through it. Talking about death. And either there will be millions and millions of miles of nothing, or else there will be the everlasting arms of God. And you want them to get a master's degree to give them a little security. If I ever see that professor, I'm going to give him a chest bump. It's a mic drop moment. And he's right. I imagine, even if it's only a little bit, some of our illusions of security um, have been crushed these past few months. Uh, Maybe some of the foundations that we've seen as being so secure are starting to crumble beneath us. Maybe we've seen the fragility of things in a way that we've never really thought about before. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's no turning back. We've seen um, this can be jarring. It can be jarring. But it can also wake us up. It can also wake us up. It can wake us up to the reality that either you and I belong to Christ and we have the hope of bodily resurrection or we have no security at all. But, 
if he did walk out of the grave, if he did walk out of the grave, then we're walking too. Amen.